Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, Dan, Adrian, and I sit down with Chris Goodman. Chris is a coach for executives and business leaders and an all-around really, really great guy. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. As soon as we got onto the call and hit record, we dove into a pretty, what I think is a relatable conversation about being fathers uh, and being parents in general. And uh, it, it was so fun to have that banter back and forth before we got into the content that I chose to leave it in the episode because I think it's a great window into reality, into parenthood, and to who Chris is. He's such a great, genuine person. Let's dive in. It's happening. You've been, you became a papa since we talked last. Yeah, that's right. Dad life. that's right. Dad life is so great. How many of you guys are dads? All right. Oh, well, okay. So you, you probably remember this moment. About an hour ago, I made my daughter cry for the first time ever. Congratulations. <laughs> I was playing with her. And I, and I wiggled her feet, I guess, just enough that it scared her. And, and she did the whole you know, like, like <laughs> cartoonish, sad face for a second. And that the, the tears welled up and I thought, here we go. And sure enough, she started crying. So, um, so it's going great. Dad life is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I thought you were going to talk about the, fir- the monumental moment when you first got shat on that, that is also a fun debt, like a dad initiation. Yeah. Yeah. I went through my, my rotation of that yesterday. She got my shorts, my shirt and my arm all in, all in one <laughs> sitting, all in one move. <laughs> like that's efficiency right there. Yeah. I, I usually warn dads about like the 3am moment. I call it. And just cause I had it. And I assume other people have it where it's like 3am baby's crying. You're trying to give the wife some relief. You're like in the kitchen on the yoga ball bouncing and it hits your mind where it's like, I want to throw this child against this tile. (laughs) And then, you you know, that thought's going to come and you're probably going to feel weird about it. It's okay. You want to kill the child. You're going to feel guilty about it. You ought to just don't do it. That's normal. You're telling me that's normal. Okay. It's normal to want to kill your child (laughs) because they are the, they're the, the, the reminder that you don't get to control much when it comes to human relationships I, uh, As if married life didn't remind me of that enough amen yeah exactly <laughs> amen i there, i can't think of who it was right now some stand-up comedian has a whole bit about that don't shake the baby oh really that's <laughs> funny so good he's like you know you're, you're in the hospital and they're telling you over and over and over again don't shake the baby and you're going what kind of crazy psycho do you think i am and then you go home and you want to shake the baby (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we we got covid in her fifth week of being alive and all three of us got it and there were several moments where we were just both exhausted totally isolated you know because nobody could come over and help and there, there were several moments where you could just, you know, you'd put a new diaper on and she'd ruin that diaper instantaneously. And, and the person, whoever was changing the diaper would just go, oh, <laughs> it was like, there's so much of the human, you know, emotion spectrum right there in one side. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm already getting an education and new emotions that I didn't know I could experience in the, yeah. in the five weeks in. <laughs> yeah. This is great. I'm leaving this relatable conversation in. That's great. It's going on the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Especially the shaking baby part. We'll get lots of good hate mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thanks so much for doing this, man. I want to dive in so that we can maximize our time with you. Um, but I really appreciate the generosity and in, in coming on and, um, you know, you and I've messaged back and forth a little bit. I've been able to listen to a couple episodes of your podcasts, uh, specifically the ones that Adrian's been on. Um, and I just love what you're putting out there and I was excited and grateful that you were willing to come on. Have you met Dan? I have not. Nice to meet both of you guys. I, you know, we've talked, Chad, we haven't seen each other face to face and Dan, I've only heard good things about you and war stories from Adrian. So, uh, you better live up to your reputation today. Sir. I'm, I'm uh, probably over my mouth and disappoint you within the first two minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I am grateful to be here guys. Thanks for having me, Adrian. Um, thanks for all your time. And 
just like Adrian said, when he came on to my show, I'm here to, to serve, here to help. Uh, whatever we can talk about that might be helpful or of value to your audience, I'm, I'm willing to dig into it. That's great, man. I have no plan either. I have some notes just of what I've, you know, things that I've observed from you and from your, some of the content that you put out mm -hmm. and we may get there. We may not, who knows where this thing will go. If that's all right with you, uh, we just dive in. So I'll do a post recorded introduction after this. So I don't do a, a, an introduction right now. What we'll do is we'll just start with you taking a minute to introduce yourself. Oh, well, that's easy. I'm Chris Goodman. I'm a coach. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And that's really the majority of what's going on in my world. Um, <laughs> I, my background is in real estate, the law. Uh, I was a political science uh, graduate, and I was one of those guys that was going to change the world by being a really smart lawyer and helping people. At first, I wanted to be an environmental lawyer. And then when I got into the legal field, I worked in labor and employment litigation uh, at the corporate level for five years. And when I got into that world, everybody said, you don't want to be an environmental attorney. They don't make any money. And I said, well, it's not really just about the money. And they're like, yeah, but don't you want to make some money? I was like, well, yeah, I kind of want to make some money. They're like, well, the money's in litigation. Okay. So I start figuring out how to make my way up the corporate ladder in litigation and worked for one of the biggest law firms in our region. Um, like I said, for about five years doing that kind of work. And while I was there, I got into law school, had a great time for the first semester. By the time I got into my, my second semester, I hated life. I hated everything about it. I ended up uh, studying contract law one day. You, you guys can imagine how thick the contract law books are in law school. I mean, you know, we're reading a hundred pages of contract law a day and I was so stressed out, so burned out because uh, I was still working at the time. So it was law school and working. Um, these two squirrels were in my backyard making a bunch of noise in the leaves. And I threw open the screen and screamed at them to shut up because they were bothering me while I was studying for contract law. How dare they? And it just kind of washed over me in that moment that if anybody saw me do that, how stupid I would look and how unhappy I would be if I got hit by a bus or got, you know, if I just, if anything happened to me that day, I would have died a miserable person and I was not okay with that. And that started me down the path of what do I really want out of this life? What do I really want out of my work? And clearly the law wasn't it. And a lot of people, especially a lot of lawyers would say, well, that's not fair. The first year really sucks and it's really hard. And they try to push you out and this and that. I'm like, yeah, but my reward was two more years of that. And then maybe 20 more years of that. <laughs> so I pulled the plug and I quit law school and I started this free fall where I was not going to stay at the firm and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I started exploring based on what lights me up, what makes me feel alive, what makes me feel like I'm at my best. And uh, long story short, I ended up meeting up with the realtor that sold me my first home because a friend of mine at the law firm was kind of going through the same thing. And I said, he goes, I want to get into real estate. I said, I know the best in town. He sold me a house not that long ago. So I meet up with him and, and this realtor is telling my friend all about real estate. You get to control your income. You get to control your time. You know, you get to have fun and meet new people and solve challenges and problems all day long. And my friend's like, it's a solid commission role. I'm out. I got two little girls to feed. I can't do just commission. And I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Tell me more about this, like freedom, this, this fun, this uh, control your income stuff. I, I like this. So the funny part is he hated me at the time. <laughs> that realtor did not like me because I was demanding. I thought I knew everything because I was in law school. You know, when he sold me this house, I was this like very high standard demanding kind of guy. And he's like, you don't want to get into, into real estate. Well, me being me, I kept pushing him and shadowed him. And eventually we became best friends. We're still brothers today. We built a, uh, a million dollar in terms of gross commission income, a million dollar team. We were selling about 250 houses a year. Um, you know, I got rookie of the year. I trained three more rookies of the year. We, we took off. We just took off. And it was because there was such good alignment between the two of us, the team we were building, the mission we were on, what we wanted to get out of life, and the fact that we were very serious about building a life we loved and work we loved. That ran its course after about five years, and I met this woman named Lindsay, who was a life coach, 
And uh, is there an explicit filter on the podcast or can I, uh, <laughs> there is no filter. Um, my no filter. When I first this heard is about the Lindsay, naked leadership podcast, we turned you up for filters. <laughs> so when I first heard about Lindsay, they said, well, she's a life coach. And I said, what the fuck is a life coach? Come on. Cause you know, real estate's a real thing. The law is a real thing. What's life coaching. What soft skill stuff is this? Well, it's funny because I had been coaching my agents for years and, and going around, you know, training agents all over for years and coaching them. So I knew what coaching was, but I didn't know what life coaching was. And so long story short here for the sake of time, ended up falling in love with Lindsay, falling in love with life coaching too. Four, four months after we met, I was a four months. Yeah, it was three or four months after we met, I quit real estate, started my own coaching business and haven't looked back. And that was in 2017. So these days I spend my time, I'd say 80% life coaching, 20% business coaching based on my background in real estate sales, what I learned in the legal field and thousands upon thousands of hours. I actually have, I counted up about 15,000 hours of training and coaching experience over the years. And now my clients are all walks of life, but they're all business owners. And they're just like us guys, you know, they experience every challenge that every human does. They just happen to have a particular set of problems because they're in business. And I really like bringing the life coaching side to it because most business owners aren't told that, that their problems originate between their ears instead of in the four walls of their business. Um, does that answer the question? I was kind of long-winded. I think you covered it, man. Uh, that was great. Um, so a law school dropout. That's right. I know a few of those. <laughs> They're the best people I know. Are you one of those? No, I'm oh, not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I mean, a few things came up for me as you were talking about, I'm interested like as, as a young man and as you're going into college or considering the career that you're going to do, why environmental law is that have some sort of tie to the love of outdoors? Yes, it does. I, my, my dad is a, uh, chemist and wastewater engineer. So, um, for instance, Adrian, you're in Los Angeles. He helped design some of the wastewater treatment facilities that, you know, operate in one of the biggest markets in the world. Um, and he was oh, please, always traveling. Please thank a, him for me. Please thank him. For <laughs> yeah. Me. <laughs> Every time you take a sip of water, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a bug. That That's right. <laughs> It's a bug I caught because he had freedom while he did that work too. You know, he got to travel around and see the world, uh, improve literally the world around him. And that sounded like a lot of fun. And I have this, this innate advocate in me and I wanted to advocate for something I was passionate about. And I, I grew up on 80 acres of woods, you know, pristine forest, um, you know, a river, I could literally walk out my back door, go down and fish in this Creek still do to this day. And I wanted to protect that for a lot of people. So that's why I started to go that route. But then as it morphed over the years, it morphed from advocating for the environment to advocating for uh, people in real estate. And then when, once I learned like coaching can advocate for anything because you're helping the person get what they want. Oh, that was like, that was like a drug. And I was like, give me more of that. Right. Mm. I'm interested in this. You, it also piqued my interest when you talked about you were coaching your agents for years without even knowing that it was coaching. And it's just like co leadership as coaching, right. Or coaching as leadership. And I'm, I'm wondering hindsight, looking back, what are some of the things that you did innately as a leader in that organization that you now see as coaching? Well, we, I should qualify it because I saw a lot of it as coaching because I was at Keller Williams real estate, which is, one of the biggest Dan's nodding. Yeah. They're one of their culture for coaching is I would say unmatched in the real estate space. Um, they take it very seriously. And, and I had some of the best training by some of the brightest minds. You know, I was in a room with, with three different CEOs there learning firsthand what to do and what not to do. Um, how to ask great questions as a coach versus how to give advice as a mentor. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I didn't know it was coaching, but I would say that one thing that I did frequently was really fuck things up and then have to learn how to go clean up my mess, you know, as uh -huh. a leader and say, look, I, I expect you guys to fail too. So it's only fair that I'm doing the same thing and we can still thrive as a team, even though this is going to happen. 
Um, I thought coaching might you know, somehow magically alleviate all that. <laughs> and it really just pushed the <laughs> gas down on it. <laughs> now you're just more aware. That's yeah. right. Yeah. My grandfather used to say, you behaved your way into this. Now behave your way out. I love that. <laughs> it's like, okay, got it. Yeah. That's great. So t- tell us, I, I'd be curious when you talk about, you know, life, life coaching and life coaching business leaders, um, just for people that are listening, you know, I think most of, most folks that, that come to our podcast are, are similar like business leaders. And we talk a lot about almost all of our conversations in the domain of business, but it's all very personal and very relational, which might shift over or connect with what you call life coaching. Um, I'd love to just hear you share about that because I get shivers up my spine as well. Or I, I'm very dismissive, if it, whatever. I'm just not that interested um, typically when somebody says they're a life coach. Um, but talk about it. I like you. So, oh, look, here's an anomaly in front of me. So, so <laughs> tell me what you mean by that. How's that script and story working, Adrian? Well, yeah, yeah. look, look, you're changing my world. <laughs> well, this is fun because, you know, I, I was that guy for a long time. I was I was dismissive. I was judgmental. Um, you know, if you weren't one of the gatekeepers of law and policy in my world, you didn't you, you didn't matter as much. And, you know, that type of judgment is a fast track to suffering. Um, and really close mindedness. And, and I, I don't mean that against you, Adrian. I'm just saying that line of thinking doesn't open doors for new opportunities and new perspectives for you. Yeah. And um, I'll say it like this, that there's a fine line between life coaching and business coaching with the right person, because all we're doing in business coaching is changing how you think. We might introduce a strategy or some kind of tactical advice you know, break out a three point plan that you never thought could be that simple. You know, that's just changing how you think. And then you're still tasked with running and taking action on that. Life coaching isn't any different. And I think there's this stigma against life coaching. And trust me, I heard it from, you know, the, the top coaches that I rubbed elbows with in the real estate world, when I started a coaching business and they figured out it was life coaching based and like business enhanced, they were like, what are you doing, man? Like you should be out here printing money in real estate and teaching agents how to, to be better agents. And basically saying you should be a strategist, uh, a mentor, not a life coach. The truth is, though, life coaching is is so much more transformational because everything is on the table. Whatever decision you're making about your business is based on some need or desire or emotion that you want to fill in your life or else you wouldn't be in that business. Right. And so I'm always bringing people back to one key distinction between life coaching and business coaching is the business coaching is going to bring you back to strategy or tactics. Whereas life coaching is going to bring you back to what are you thinking that's causing the result that you're getting? Does that make sense? And (laughs) and when you, when you start to play on that playground of, okay, you know, I'll at least explore this. You start to see how everything you're thinking in uh, informs what you're doing in your business at every level. And that's, what's fun to me is to transform the person and the business in one fell swoop. Yeah. I'm with you. It totally makes sense. We, we, we put them so closely together. We don't make that distinction that quickly. It's like, here's the life coaching conversation. Here's the business coaching conversation because it's all human period. Anyway, you know, it's like I've said probably three times in the last two days, put a great plan in the hand of an immature person. The plan's not going to work. It doesn't matter how great the plan is. If you got somebody that's irresponsible, all of a sudden the plan doesn't work. You know, you're going to blame that on the plan, but it's the operator and not, you know, not the automobile. But anyway, we, we, we put them together just because every, every business endeavor is a human endeavor, at least until AI starts running our world period. So, um, <laughs> you know, so it's always going to be, there's always going to be, um, human beings making decisions, um, or not making decisions, which is a decision in and of itself, but that makes sense though. That's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. One word that you kept saying, Chris, that really popped out for me is advocate or advocacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many people in different professions, even lawyers, law that, that describe themselves as your advocate. I'm curious for you, what is, what is that, what is it to be an advocate for somebody from your position as a coach? I think a champion for their potential, right. Or a champion for their betterment. And yeah, you know, I did a lot of soul searching 
even way back when I wrote my, my letter to get into law school, you know, they ask you basically, wh- why should we take you in here? Why should we put you in this elite club is the way I took it. <laughs> you know? And you have to kind of prove yourself, not just with your test scores, but your perspective. And that was really important to me that we, that, that we do something with our skills to improve the people around us. So I, I think it's really that simple. It's just kind of championing, championing. Is that even a word? We're going to make it a word being yeah. a champion for their, their cause. That's great. So as you, as you work with, I'm assuming you obviously work to be an advocate for your clients, but as you're working with business owners, you're also helping them figure out how to champion and be advocates for their people. And that's the audience that we're talking to today that that's listening to the naked leadership podcast for these people who are leading others and, and working to create results through others. And they have a million different ways of trying to do that. Um, how do you help, how do you start to help a business owner think about being an advocate, being a, you know, championing people, even in, in, in the midst of all that you think about as a business owner, how, you know, how to keep the, the business profitable and running and on the edge and, you know, all of that stuff. And then you have this other element, which is people. And, um, I say other element, that's actually the only element, but, um, you know what I mean? Like how, how do you help them become advocates and champions for the people that, that both work with them or buy their products, whatever? Well, it's a big question. I, I think the main thing is I'm asking somebody when I get in front of them and they're actually willing to listen and be coachable, you know, what is the current conversation around you? Most of these uh, business owners and, and founders are at the apex of their entire world. So who is creating an exciting, powerful, empowering vision around them for them to stretch and grow into? And if they don't have that type of coach or leader in their world, they sure as hell need one. And that's the role that I typically step into is I start coaching and stretching and, you know, um, I think empowering is really the best word how they think, what they think is possible. And because they see how they start growing into that, they take that back to their team and create an equally empowering conversation around the team. Does that make sense? The way I frame it? Totally. Yeah. 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 And honestly, it's usually just a, it's just a fallacy. They just don't know what they don't know. They've never experienced a leader like that. They've always been told here's the right way to build a business or here are the rules for a good business owner. Follow these rules. And that's not necessarily the case because the, the best business owners I've been around are anti-authority. <laughs> you know, they are, they are um, rule breakers. And, and so it's arbitrary to give them a set of guidelines to say, here's what makes a good business owner. And instead, mm-hmm. we just want to challenge. Uh, Adrian, I love how you said this on, on my podcast. You said you want to interrogate that and really investigate the reality of that. So by stretching what, what they think their potential is, or for instance, everybody that I start working with is working too much. And I know you guys see this constantly, right? They're just, they're just doing too much themselves. They buy into the myth that they have to do it as the entrepreneur. And they think that's the way it has to be. You have to work hard to be successful. And then within six months, they're working 20, 30 hours less a week going, I don't understand what I was, what I was thinking back then, Right. It, all we did was create a different conversation around them. Yeah. I was just on it with a client. I'm, I'm about to finish up our first contract where, you know, I work usually in six month or year contracts, the end of a six month contract. And we were talking about this right now because it's all working. You know, it's like that it's yeah. his, you know, where he is, where he was when we began and where he is now very, very odd sensation for him. Cause he actually got everything he wanted and he's, you know, <laughs> Uh, it was, he's in an odd place, you know? And so we, and he, he's like, I don't know how it happened. I said, well, hold on a second. D- don't do that now. Why don't we, if, if it's working, it's worth actually it's, it's most people only interrogate issues when things are broken. We rarely interrogate issues when things are working and as a way to avoid ownership usually, um, but even strategically, it's a good idea because it's going to break again. And you might want to study what you did that made it work. So you can go back and do that again. But that was, we ended up having a big conversation around one of the chief beliefs he needed to break up 
um, which is cultural and I think probably human, is that the, the more essential I am, the safer I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and every yeah, how's entrepreneur that working is, out for him, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's this, it's a, it's a paradox for sure. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, it's a, it's a mind fuck, you know, because if like, because I, I naturally try to be really important. And I think that if I'm important, then I'm essential, needed, wanted, then I will get what I want and I'm safe. But I end up, you know, inheriting, inheriting the despair that comes with slavery instead of generating, um, how do I build a, a team that doesn't need me? It's really weird to do that. Um, and I've, so if I, if I increase, if I, what most people don't do is stay a hundred percent responsible and become less significant at the same time. Like that's possible. Most people go for high level significance and try to get as less amount of responsibilities they can have. Mm-hmm. And then they feel alone and it's lonely at the top and nobody gets me. And if they only worked as hard as I did and blah, 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 blah. And uh, anyway, he was feeling that this morning, just to kind of yes. And what you're talking about, like so many folks end up feeling slaves to the company that they are committed to instead of generating a company that works for their life. And it is a trap, right? To, to be significance oriented because nothing will ever, it's just, you're constantly raising the ante there to meet that need for significance. I need a bigger team, a bigger bottom line. And we switch the bottom line to, well, you know, now I need to make a bigger impact. And so how you meet that need for significance or feeling important really matters with, with my top clients, you know, it's always worked to shift that need for significance from the success of the business to the success of the team. And, and once we do that judo flip of, Hey, look, the more successful the team is, the more significant you are, because you become, you step into that role of coach and mentor to them, then you're irreplaceable, but you don't have to do any of the quote work anymore. Yeah. And so we, we just, and then, and, and then that runs its course. And then somebody else wants to take over the reins of being the coach or the leader for the team. And they get to go out in the world and do great things like, you know, connect their team to bigger opportunities. Yeah. I, I'm so glad we all have it all figured out on this call. I just wish that everybody could spend more time with <laughs> it. I sound so certain in this, like this is the right way and I have it all. No, I mean, that's not the case. You guys, I'm sure you encounter this too, but it, you see the same trends over and over and over, but most of the world is unaware of this, you know, and I, and I, I say that kind of as an exploration, like, why is that the case? Why, why do more people not know these inherent truths that we get to see all day long? Hello, my friends. This episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast is brought to you by The Revenant Process. I want to tell you about the next Revenant we have coming up. It's November 3rd through the 6th, 2022 in Los Angeles, California. Now, if you haven't heard us talk about The Revenant, there's a few things I want to point out about it. Really, The Revenant process is an opportunity to change your focus and renew your mind. Dan calls it a gym, and in that gym, it's a place to invent a future that inspires you, to stand confident in the face of disapproval or chaos, to exercise the courage to learn from conflict, to create new meaning in your relationships, to be a voice, not an echo. Now get this, there's over 50,000 Revenant graduates around the world. 97% of those graduates surveyed say that it it exists in the top three experiences of their lives. I'll echo that sentiment for myself personally. My Revenant process definitely stands within the top three or four experiences of my life. I cannot explain to you the clarity and excitement that I got by going through this process. So imagine what's possible for you. Think of a future that you want as it relates to yourself, your self-talk, your relationships with others in your career, and come to the Revenant process ready to make it happen. Again, the deets are November 3rd through the 6th, 2022 in Los Angeles, California. If you want to register, you can go to wearerevenant.com, wearerevenant.com, or simply click on the link in the show description. I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while and, you know, I think, I think they know the, I think people know the concepts and the ones that are effective embody them and embodying it is not comfortable. At least in my experience, I, 
there's no arriving. And every day you get up, there's, I'm okay, now who or what is going to be in control today? Am I going to, is my commitment, am I going to give my commitment the permission to recreate me? Or am I going to now become a captive of my desires? And even though I know what it means to own and take responsibility for what I'm committed to, the, you know, Answering that call is another issue. And then surrounding myself with people that are going to live that way is also a bit sobering because, you know, <laughs> when I'm dragging asses, some guy like Adrian comes along and goes, hey, you know, you go, yeah, well, up yours, buddy. I got, you know, <laughs> you don't know what I'm going through. You, you've never lived my life, you know, and that whole story. But um, I think the principles are well known. I think they're offensive to the entitled, uh, you know, people get offended. I'm offended if I'm entitled. And I think entitlement comes with a very grand story of how life is doing it to me. And there's a lot of payoffs in that story. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, what if you are the one that wanted life the way you're complaining about it? What if you were getting something out of that? I, I think that's offensive. And, and so people shy off it. I think it sounds good if you're responsible. <laughs> That's a good idea because then you can take care of me. So. Yeah, no but victim I, mentality I, there, right? No, no. <laughs> Dan, as you were talking, I think for me, uh, my experience, like my experience of being on the TNG team is it's, it's inherently risky because I know nobody here is going to let me f- just float. Nobody's going to let me phone it in. Nobody's going to carry me. And there's, there's risk with that, right? Because it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be challenged. And if I'm not performing, if I'm not up to snuff, you guys are going to love me, but I don't have a place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I'm just thinking about the leaders that are listening to this podcast. I'm wondering for you, as you think about what I'm, what I'm saying, uh, the question I would ask is, is it risky to be on your team? Is it? Uh, you're asking like a rhetorical yeah, question. Yeah. yeah, like a rhetorical question. Like those who are under your leadership, is there risk? Is there inherent risk because they know that they've got to perform, that you're going to call them up and you're going to, of course, you're going to love them, but they, they have to be responsible. They have to be accountable. I think that's a really powerful question to consider. Um, I, also, while you guys are talking, Chris, you, you made a comment, I can't remember now, but it, it reminded me or, or sparked my interest in this question that I would love. I want to pose it to all three of you because I think this would be an interesting conversation. I'm going to assume that we all see things that are missing in leadership right now as, as, a, as a large, you know, this whatever that would be, this large term of leadership. Think about it in corporations. Think about it in our country and other countries. Um, I'm going to assume we see some things that are missing. Um, my question is, what do you see is missing in leadership today? What's, what is rare um, and, and, uh, and we're missing? Anybody, go for it. That's a long list. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can kick off. Um, what's, yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, it's a broad question. Um, if I were to answer broadly, I would just maybe speak about it um, culturally yeah, as, it, as it comes to maybe the States or, or whatever. I'm just thinking about even clients that I'm working with and, mm-hmm. and some of the tensions that they're in and then some, uh, you know, some opportunities for them to step up or, or, step out. I mean, in times of uncertainty, like we're in right now, um, there will always be an uncertainty. This is just a certain flavor of it. You know, uh, one of the tensions that I see is, is just people deciding that let me just take care of my home base. And I use all those words on purpose. Let me just take care of my home base. It's, um, and I'm thinking about a huge company that we're working with and, and just, you know, I work with multiple people in multiple divisions of this company. And um, one of these really thrilling leaders, you know, he is stellar at what he's doing. And he currently in this tension between, uh, am I to be iconic or am I to be 
influential. I'll make that distinction. Iconic is where he's at right now. Like, let me just be the best X there is, which is a passive way of changing the system. Pretty good. You know, like pretty good. Like that's better than most people are up to. He wants to change it, but change it by being the best. And there's inherent risk in being doing all that. And that's why I use the word just and being one that's willing to go stir up trouble somewhere else for the sake of the other divisions, you know? And so anytime like there's like chaos time of transition, most folks protect their own backyard, which we ought to do by the way, all the time is tend to our own backyard first. Um, I think in, in, uh, I think especially as the world has become more, Oh, sensitized, let's say about superficial things like in the, in the cancel culture, for example, or something like that, like there's like just certain things people can't say. And so anyway, we've trained folks to really go underground and not to, and which is probably hugely problematic, um, for cultures for leadership, for followers, for people that, you know, it's like, anyway, we we're training folks to be inauthentic mm. and that's a challenge because nobody, then you're not going to see really where somebody really is. You're going to, you know, fall for and follow a mirage of a person or an image of a person. And that is passive consent for you to also be um, inauthentic and not really deal with what's there for you. And then you've got lots of trouble everywhere else in life. So um, those are kind of like two, two main ideas for me. It's like, you know, you know, self-protection, even if you're, you can wrap it in altruism, like I'm going to be really great, but I'm not thinking about the whole, but then also this praise of superficiality instead of, you know, authenticity. I don't mean authenticity, like let's cry all the time. I mean, authenticity, like let's just be real. Like what's really happening? How dangerous is it really? You know, what's really needed here? Like, can we love each other enough to tell each other the truth? Can somebody fuck it up in public and we forgive the person and they get to go again? Like everybody else, like we all want that privilege of like failing and getting up and going again. But yet in our culture, you know, we like to treat people the way we'd never like to be treated. And that's okay. And even praised. So that's dangerous. Those are a few things that's what's missed. Just a couple of things that come to mind for me. It's beautiful. Chris, anything come to mind for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think several things you said there, uh, Adrian, really resonate because my, my first thought was it's a lack of discourse, like the ability, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like right here, even though we've never actually met, I feel like I could say anything and we could battle test it and poke holes in it and we would let the best idea win and we would all move on with our day. That art is dying, uh, mm-hmm. or at least broadly across culture, it's not being invited and it's definitely, definitely not being the flames of that aren't being stoked. Right. So, you know, th- this, this is one of the biggest things for me, you know, I, for a while there, I thought I was going to be a constitutional lawyer because after I decided not to do environmental law, I really gravitated toward the constitution. It was just exciting in a very nerdy way. I know there's a lot of people listening, like, what the hell are you talking about? But it was exciting to me because it was so brilliant. And it was literally thousands of years of human education in one document. And I still think we're being informed by it. And I, I think we're still challenging, but that was the product of discourse, right? You know, some of the best and brightest minds in the entire world hammered that out for decades before pen ever hit paper about it. So I think we're missing that. And I think that is actually an internal conversation first, which means we're not, I'd love how you said that you were, we're training folks to go underground because that, I I think that is true. We're training them to have a one track mind, disallow uh, conflict, disallow discourse or a different opinion and, and huddle up underground with the other folks who are like-minded. And that, that's not only dangerous at a huge level for democracy, but it's dangerous for a small level of democracy in organizations and even in relationships. That's where I'll stop. Love it, man. That's great. Dan, what do you, I know you spend hours and hours a day thinking about this. How do you, what's, what's your reaction to the question? I, I mean, I, both you guys have hit on, for me, you know, some real issues. It's funny that you say that, Chris, because when I went to college, I, for a while, contemplated being a trial attorney. I 
I was, you know, in high school, I went to a Jesuit school and we did a debate and that kind of stuff. And I really loved it. But, but um, for me, I, I think it's a cultural issue. I think, you know, the old saying, the method is the message. And in our culture, um, all of um, the methodology of messaging is around consumerism. And, you know, when you're a consumer, the world owes you something, you know, you deserve a break today. And, and that, I think that sets up, I think it undermines discourse because the, my aim in the conversation is to get what my desire is, you know, like, I mean, the pursuit of pleasure, following your impulses and you know, that kind of thing, living for the moment, you know, doing what's expedient, you know, so lie, cheat, steal, do whatever you have to do because ultimately in a meaningless universe, what's possible is, you know, there's not much, it just gets your way. And I think that's what people tend to fall back on if they're not thinking. I think we get swept up in the consumer culture and we wonder how come I don't have what that guy has. And if I don't have what he has, he must be a bad guy or he has more than everybody else. So he's a bad guy rather than discourse and understand how he got it. What drove this man or woman to develop what they developed, to contribute what they contributed to society and to then to appreciate the rewards of that, that that's been lost. Or at least it's, it's people are trying to bury it. There are, there are a lot of people though, like yourself, Chris. And I think like a lot of either consultants, coaches, trainers, thinkers, educators who are really, I think, coming to the surface and fighting for what you're talking about, that discourse, responsible discourse, because there's something more important than me just getting my desire. There's actually a future attached to whatever I'm up to and whatever choice I make now is either going to reinforce the future I say I want, or it's going to undermine my, my life. It's going to, I'm going to get a lot of what I say I really don't want. Right. That kind of thing. So I think, you know, that, you know, I think contextually, I think that's a big issue. And, and it sounds like, you know, I mean, I know that I know I can tell Chris and I work with Adrian and Chad, you know, intervening in that is, is um, both rewarding, challenging, rewarding, valuable, meaningful, uh, not only for us individually, I think, I know for me individually, but it's valuable for my, my children and my grandchildren and, and those that I have responsibility for, that's really, I, I focus there. If I can make a difference there, then I figure I'm, I'm disintermediating the entitlement that is so necessary for a, a consumer culture to exist. So, I, I relate to that just real quick, because when I was an agent, I was the guy that Adrian was describing. I was the iconic, one of the best, you know, I, went from starting, like I got my license and within about a thousand days got out of production, which <sighs> takes most agents 20 years to do. Wow. And I had now, don't let me take all the credit for that because I had great coaches, great mentors, a great team, you know, helping me pull all that off. And, and the deal was I would turn around and then pull all of them up behind me because that, you know, a rising ship or a rising tide raises all ships. Right. But that, it doesn't always work that way because you encounter so, so much resistance <laughs> along the way. Right. And, and I think that's where most people tend to stop is when they meet resistance because they just don't have tools and resources and training and coaching to, to learn how to overcome that. Because like, I, you know, all of our roles is to get in the organization and go, nothing's broken here. Nothing's wrong here. You're all just humans learning how to be humans with each other. And you need a leader to stand out. And, and, and you have a, and you're part of a system that's designed to get the results it's getting. And, all, and so let's go behind the scenes and see what are we aiming at here that this system seems to be more attractive than what you say you want. Right. That's always a fun exciting conversation. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. And, and you have the few leaders who are willing to interrogate that kind of reality. Yeah. You know, the, one of the books that it's, it's still on the top of my bookshelf over here, or I even, I used it earlier today on a mastermind call, uh, but fierce conversations uh, really changed my life and having the, the awareness to interrogate my reality and see if that's actually true, you know, as a leader or, if that's, if there's something more there or when and, it's true, right? Like when it's true and when it's not right. I mean, it's yeah. more dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, you look like you've got one locked and loaded there. So I'm going to, 
(laughs) (laughs) I have a follow-up question for yours. You talked about discourse, which I, I really, uh, really valued that answer and, and that input. I'm curious for you, as you work with your clients, how do you, or do you, I guess, and, and if you do, how do you incorporate the practice of discourse into the work that you do with them? What are some invitations that you give to them or what is, what's on the table um, in order to make discourse a priority as they, as they venture into being more effective leaders? Well, everything is on the table. You know, when we get into business together, we have a, a whole series of expectations about what what this is, what this is not. And then I ask them for expectations as well. What, what do you expect of this? Essentially, how do we know this is working or how do we know this is not working? And so that we can both have bright line clarity on that. So everything is on the table. So if there is a point like this morning, I was coaching in my mastermind. And, um, this, this, uh, member of the mastermind has about four things going on in her work world, four big projects that she's working on. And I, I said, can we just pause for a second? Because she was kind of going on, you know, when the client tends to like start complaining and go on and not, can we just come back to this part, these four things? <laughs> so we list them. And I said, I want you to rank them on a scale of one to five, how much joy each of these projects is bringing you right now. One of them was a zero, (laughs) one of them was a one, and two were fives. And I said, okay, do you see anything standing out here to you? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) It's just hard right now. That's why it's a zero. It's just hard. The other one's just tough right now because we're not making a lot of money doing it. I'm like, it's not bringing you joy. It's not working. You don't see any any patterns standing out here. No, no. And so she keeps wanting to skate past it and I have to keep bringing her back to it. And I said, can, do I have your permission to coach you here? Like, can I put the coach hat on? She's like, yeah. I said, you're lying to yourself, right? The numbers are not lying. You are lying about your experience of this. Is this how you want to live your life? Is this really how, and, and Adrian, this is why life coaching gets a bad rap because this really has nothing to do with business, right? At the end of the day, it just has to do with what she's thinking about, which is a life question. And so at, to, to summarize this, everything is on the table with a good coach, with a great coach in terms of challenging and discourse and debating your potential or debating your current results. Because if you're hiding anything, there's something, there's a reason you're hiding it. Some sense of shame or judgment or embarrassment. And all of that stuff is going to come back to haunt you in the next decision or the next project that looks or smells anything like that. Well, and in that way, it, it has everything to do with business, right? Because she, what she does here, she does at work, you know, or at least as far as where she comes from here, it's invisible. It's what she's taking with her every day, but yeah. yeah, it looks like it's so unrelated, but we know it's going with her right in there to deal with whatever breakdowns are happening at work. And if they can, you know, it's one of the things I love about coaching is if you get, especially with a team and you start work becomes really exciting when what, when people can take what they do at work and go home and improve the quality of their relationships with their children and their spouses and their community organizations, because they're getting a hold of their blind spots or they're getting a hold of the way they view the world and how that impacts the actions they take and the impact they make on others. So it gets really, it's, it's such a dynamic uh, process of engagement. Well, you're, uh, and you're right. It's, it's informing who they're being everywhere in every relationship they're in and every project they're involved in and, and, or even worse and what they're not showing up to do. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, like I tell our team all the time, look, when, when something's going really well for a client, we remind them, look, our, our team changes lives and, and changing those lives changes family trees, changes yeah. family trajectories, changes the world. And if more people could slow down long enough to think that way, I think discourse would just be, it would be invited. It would be welcomed. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, you know, you think about that's like bringing the light out, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt for this guy today. So I, I coached this group of guys a couple times a month, group of six or eight guys or how many. And there was a new guy on the, on the call. So he didn't know me at all. He didn't know who I am. And this group meets every week. And then I meet you're right. Every week. Poor Wait. guy. Huh? I said, you're poor, right. Poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. 
Yeah. He, he didn't know it was coming. And, 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 uh, and, and anyway, so I jumped into combo with him. I'd seen like, we've got a Slack channel and everybody posts their goals. And so I'd seen him post his goals and I'd seen everybody give him high fives for his goals and how clear he was and such. And I'm explaining a little bit about what I'm up to and what I'm committed to on the call and, and my relationship to this group and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, and we've been doing like hot seat coaching. So new guy, and I've already coached everybody else that's on the call. So you're up buddy. Um, and so anyway, I'm moving slowly and I'm getting him talking about what he's doing. And, you know, he's very flaccid, maybe might be the word, very kind of half connected to what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, and I'm just starting to slowly point some stuff out. And uh, to the point is, I said, well, are there any of these goals? So I, I heard all your goals and, and such, but are there any of these goals that, that are scary to you at all? And, and he, he, he paused for a second and he said, no, I said, okay, good. Well, welcome to playing with me. That's what I'm going after. I mean, you, the fact that you have goals makes you of the elite of human beings. Most human beings don't have any goals, period. Um, so most folks are going to give you high fives for that. And I'm just, I mean, but I'm here searching for your capacity. And so, you know, you having kind of some, you know, some goals that would make you more impressive to yourself as compared to last month, that's worth, you know, um, celebrating fine. And what actually would blow your own mind? That's, that's the conversation I wanted to have. And, uh, it was really great. And poor guy only because like, you know, here we are, I don't know him at all. And all of a sudden I'm and, and connecting this to the discourse conversation is that by the end of that, he was so invigorated and felt like, felt uh, more alive. You should have seen his countenance because he's like, oh, sh like this type of thinking is what I've been doing for a long time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, somebody was willing to listen hard enough, listen distinct enough to catch the meta conversation I was in, shift that conversation and everything else is a whole new ballgame. And, um, you know, I, I love, I love these conversations around discourse and for leaders that are listening, I'm hoping you're convicted about what you are so prone because especially in our kind of busy culture and maybe even polite culture, where you're so prone to like not notice, or at least act like you're not noticing for the sake of expediency, mm -hmm. but exponential change usually comes by noticing and putting language to that, which someone's scared to death to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely agree. I think every entrepreneur is hardwired to grow, uh, to challenge, to be a revolutionary in their own way. And if, if someone's not fanning those flames and getting them to stretch themselves, I, I love how you said, you didn't say, did you say capacity? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like the best entrepreneurs, they, they don't even see their capacity, but no. sometimes they get caught in a very a comfortable pattern of life is great. I don't need any more, or I shouldn't <laughs> want more, or it's bad for me to want more. Cause I, I have a client right now. Um, she's in a relationship and her partner's making a million dollars a day. Nice. Yeah. Huh. For real. It's a real number. And, and, and meanwhile, her business um, did seven figures last year as well. And so she's in this very disorienting space of, we shouldn't want any more. We shouldn't need any, anything. And, and it, she's starting to depress her capacity down to like this mouseish level. And I'm like, Whoa, this is where we get to like really light the rockets. Like, what are you talking about? But well, it, if there's again, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was just going to say, if there's a single measurement for your success, that's going to happen especially if, if you reach that, right? So if success looks like a, a, a dollar amount in the bank account and that's when you shut it off and relax, um, then that's going to happen. But when you're a, when you are a complex system of a lot of things that make up a successful life, successful life for you, there's always, I think there's always something to, to take a sharp look at. Yeah. You know, it's, it's meaning, meaning is a big deal for me. You know, it's like what, what brings meaning to my actions? And I was thinking mm -hmm. about what you're saying. It made me think of the quote from Soren Kierkegaard, who said, you know, you find there's a despair that humans don't even know is despair. And that's the despair that finds a level of um, despair that's tolerable. And then they call it happiness. Mm -hmm. 
And and that that's really that it's a pernicious despair because I'm convincing myself that where I am is enough when, you know, uh, there's always something calling me to a higher level of meaning. It may not be more dollars. It might be the qualitative uh, experience of your leaders. It, it might be how you integrate what you're doing into your family life. You know, it's a million different things, how you give back to the community, how you take care of your body. I mean, there's so many levels of meaning that, that, um, it's and we tend to get, I think, myopic. Like, well, if I only had enough dollars, I'd certainly be happy here. And then the dollars come, and I got no one to share it with. And then, then I need a relationship. And I think it's an either or. And then that's that's a whole nother conundrum. <laughs> so mm -hmm. on and on and on and on. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting, Dan. Just to kind of encapsulate what you're talking about, I think it's really popular right now. This this idea, like, you are enough. Right. And that's that we hear that talked about a lot. And I think in one, I, one sense of the idea, it's correct. You are enough in the fact that you have everything you need in order to produce something meaningful in the world. But what I think a lot of people do is take that as like, Oh, I'm enough. I don't need to produce anything meaningful in the world. Yeah. And, and those are two very distinct things. You are enough to produce it continue producing it <laughs> value. Yeah. But you know, I, I, I would even, you know, from a philosophical perspective, you're not enough because you're going to die and not one of us is getting out alive and everything you own and everything you do is going to disintegrate. You know, like that just the fact that that's real. Uh, <laughs> I, I well, that was his, fun. Uh, I didn't see his stoic patch over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there. <laughs> well, it's true, though. And I think that's what most people, you know, aren't willing to to come to terms with. I, I just ordered one of these things called a. Um, oh, shit. I forget the name of it. It's called like a 4000 week thing. It's basically a chart. And it, it's about 16 by 20 inches. And it shows every week you've been alive so far in, in a little dot. So imagine a grid of dots and every dot represents a week and it automatically fills in how many you've um, accumulated based on your, wow. your date of birth. And then every week moving forward, you fill in a little dot and it goes out to 88 years because based on their math, the average American lifespan is 88 years. I like the idea of looking at that and have it like, I'm, I'm excited for it to get here because it's going right on my wall over here to remind me that time is short and that we don't get forever on this playground. And that when I get scared about doing something novel in my business, that I can just have that perspective of what the fuck are you scared about? You got, <laughs> you got 82 more weeks or whatever. So hopefully more than that. Well, you know, there was, did you see a band of brothers? Did you yes, see sir. That? I love that show. That guy's in the, Foxhole, he's all hunkered down. He's terrified. Bullets are flying everywhere. And the guy who's the hero comes running up and he's standing straight up and he looks down and he goes, oh, you still think you're going home. And then he goes <laughs> running over the hill, shooting the gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming ready to just go wherever the conversation goes. There's so much goodness in this conversation. Um, I just want to mention really quick, we posted for those who haven't listened to it, we posted um, Adrian's episode of on Chris's podcast a couple episodes ago on ours. That was a very confusing sentence, but you can go get the real deal on Chris's podcast. Chris, I just want to give you a second just to plug whatever it is you want to plug and uh, and also just tell you how grateful we are. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled, guys. Thanks for the time. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we get to do it again soon. Um, yeah, it, the easiest way to find me is goodmancoachinginc.com, I-N-C, goodmancoachinginc.com. You can find my podcast. It's called Relentless Growth. I, I was teased the other day. <laughs> Somebody said, why did you name your podcast Relentless Growth? Doesn't that, isn't that cancer? Oh, <laughs> I was oh. like, oh, come on. Oh. <laughs> no. So the concept is that the best leaders, the best people who do amazing things on the planet grow incessantly they push for their edge they push for their capacity as adrian said and and i'm really obsessed with you know not just myself doing this and, and my relationship doing this but the people that we work with so uh yeah you can find everything there and then on the podcast and you know we have a few different ways to work with us but uh 
you know, I'm, I'm here to serve, I'm here to help. And if I cannot do that, I will happily guide you to somebody else in my network who can. Awesome, brother. Thanks again. Thanks for, thanks for making it, Chris. Hey, my pleasure, guys. If I can do anything else to help, let me know. Bye-bye, everybody. Ciao. See you guys. my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody. Bye-bye.